Welcome to 20 Not Something, the podcast for 20-somethings who haven't quite figured out what their something is yet. Each week, I'll be speaking to a different guest about their experiences of this messy decade to reassure you that everything turns out all right in the end. Because doing something in your 20s can actually mean doing anything that makes you happy. Hello everyone and welcome back to an extra special bonus episode today with life coach Sarah Burrows. Sarah founded her coaching company Achieving Ambition about 18 months ago and I thought I'd get her on the podcast today to dispel a few of the myths surrounding life coaching, chat about what it actually is and how it can help us determine what we really want. Sarah specialises in women's career and self-confidence coaching and is an advocate of all things self-esteem, authenticity and being the best version of you. She's also a fellow lacrosse enthusiast and all-round great gal, Sarah Burrows. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This is so exciting. I'm so glad you could be here and um, I'm loving the background as well. I know I said that before, but I just think you look so professional. (laughs) It's just to hide the mess, honestly. (laughs) I was working we, um, one of my jobs we work with the NHS and I realized I'd left loads of my drawers open behind me on a group call of about 30 and I was just like oh, oh seven no. minutes, gone, to the, gone to the blurred background oh my god it's like all those zoom fails which came up and there was one with that woman with that massive dildo on the bookshelf and I was like could you imagine have you seen oh, that? I missed that one <laughs> It was so funny. I was just like leaving that out on display anyway. (laughs) I know, and who keeps their dildo on a bookshelf? Like what? Not a standard place I'd expect to leave one still. (laughs) No, no, not really. (laughs) But anyway, I wanted to kick things off, Sarah, by asking you how you define confidence in your own life. Because I was reading through your website and the word came up a lot, you know, self-confidence. How can we grow confidence? What does confidence look like to you? That's a really interesting question. For me, it's partly feeling the fear and doing it anyway. And it's about taking action. So confidence to me is if you want to do something, not letting the fear win, Mm. but taking the step. So if you want to set that business up or if you want to go for that promotion or if you want to go for that new job, just doing it. And then the second part of it is the resilience. So confidence is definitely about you didn't get it and being okay with that, Mm. being okay with the fact that you failed at something or you know, having the language around that if you didn't get the next job or you didn't get that that are not being in not then internalizing it and thinking that that all falls down to you and just mm. being pretty confident and being like right okay let's get up what's next what can I do to move forwards to take the next bit of action without being defined by those external factors that have, have happened Mm, which is so true I think that's definitely the hardest thing to accept to accept failure that's the you know it's not actually going through it and feeling those feelings it's the aftermath of then not feeling good enough um I've definitely experienced that and I think many people who listen to this podcast would agree (laughs) absolutely and then not taking the next step because of it Mm. not doing Mm. it the next time because you're then like, oh, that didn't work out last time. And then holding on to the outcome, you know, it must work. It must work. And then when it doesn't, and actually sort of leaning into the process a bit and just think, like, I guess that's probably how I build confidence and work on it. Mm. It's not holding on to, if it doesn't happen, the if question that comes up all the time. 
what if oh, the what <laughs> if I know and every time I say what if then I say what if it does and that helps me a lot but I think with the word confidence just gets thrown around so much and I think it's so multi-layered because a lot of the time you can see someone who oozes confidence you know there are so many people in the media who we look at who it's like gosh she just walks into a room and she owns it but sometimes underneath those people are often really insecure and I and I think that's something that I battle with especially because sort of in a work environment sometimes when you feel a little bit you know over your head you'll put on this facade of confidence to almost sort of try to leverage yourself above a certain situation. And I just wanted to ask you what your opinion is on whether you think that confidence should ever be used as a mask to mask those insecurities or not. That's interesting. I like the idea of, I think it's sort of, there's no blanket. I think for some people it's really powerful and it allows them to, be someone in that environment that allows them to then act in a way that is useful or if they're in you know for if you're in a powerful work meeting Mm. and you don't feel confident but actually if you show that you don't feel confident that is not going to be useful for you Mm. because that is going to like you could be torn apart in a meeting if you don't look like you know what you're talking about and I've sat in numerous meetings of people very confidently saying things and me being like I know that you don't know that's true Mm. because I've given you that data but if they had not sounded confident they wouldn't be sat at the table so I think if you can use it to your advantage to you know play the room it doesn't mean that you can't then grow that confidence yeah I think that's where I struggle with it because it's like is that then authentic is anyone truly ever fully confident in themselves I don't know. I think it comes with time. I think a lot of people probably start with a facade Mm. and they use a lot of techniques that you can use to come across confident, but it doesn't necessarily that you feel it inside. And then you do it multiple times and then you haven't got to think about all the things that you're doing at that time consciously and then it becomes easier. And so I think it's something that you build by doing something repetitively. But can you use it? I think you can. I think some people it's interesting and sometimes it's nice to look at and realize that they aren't confident Mm. as well so when someone does come across it's like oozing confidence and actually they're sometimes not and it's quite nice to realize that they're actually shitting it (laughs) yeah we all are deep down I know absolutely of course so tell me a little bit more about your background then what drew you to this particular avenue of work and for some of our listeners who might not know what life coaching is can you just explain a little bit about about that yeah so life coaching is about for me it's unlocking someone's potential it's asking them questions to get them to where they want to go and doing it in a much quicker and effective way. I got into it because I, I went to play lacrosse with a girl um, in Leeds and she told me about this job that I could do because I was already qualified in psychology um, with a military. So I worked on a military rehabilitation program for about three years. Wow. And that was life coaching and adaptive sports. So we had wounded, injured and sick um, servicemen and women. And they'd come for a week and they'd have a, a combination of life coaching and adaptive sports. And I really liked the approach that was just, it met people exactly where they are at that time with whatever they wanted to do. Mm. And you can just literally like putting a key in and unlocking stuff they didn't realize they had within them 
but it's bespoke. So it's whatever works for that person rather than me educating you and saying, this is how you need to do it. I would let you come to that conclusion. You wouldn't know that. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) That's part of the beauty. And asking you those questions would allow you to come to the result that you wanted to, but in the way you wanted to. And actually your success rate is much better because you're held accountable because it was your idea. Whatever Mm. your action is to get there that you've chosen to do, you're much more likely to do it because you've chosen to. You've not been told to do it. And so when I worked with the military, it was, um, I mean, it was one of the most phenomenal places I've ever worked. And we, they they were all the um, coaches who were predominantly ex-military, so Marines, RAF and Army. And they would combine the two, so the coaching and the adaptive sports, and they'd show people and teach people how to go out of their comfort zone mm-hmm. and then coach them at the same time. So they really understood that they were, they didn't need to hold themselves back by thinking they couldn't do something. They just needed to do it mm-hmm. in small incremental steps and push themselves out. And we did rock climbing and mountain biking, all with adaptations. So if they had an injury, they could still partake. And a lot of it was about transition. So a lot of them would come and they'd be kind of leaving the military at that point. So they'd be through whatever injury or illness, they'd be, uh, there'd be a panel and they'd be deciding whether or not they were going or not. And so there was a lot of change to think about, you know, they've gone from this institutionalized lifestyle for anything up to 20 years can you imagine 20 years being told, you know, when you're getting up, where you're living, all of those things to then none of that and having to decide, you know, when you're waking up, when you're going to be doing everything. And the coaching was such an amazing tool and the transformation that you'd see when the people came back to the centre to talk. Honestly, I was just like moved to tears on such a regular basis by like wow. how different their lives were. And these were really, you know, people who had dealt with so much trauma and so much just stuff you can't I left I literally couldn't comprehend Mm. and so I did that for three years and um that's kind of led me into knowing I probably wanted to do it and then I was going to say a long story short but it's definitely not short Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I did some work for Brewdog leadership and coaching in a similar vein and then moved to London and started working for Prostate Cancer UK in a different role not in coaching and then I had a mentor in the charity and she told me about this two-day free event um, with a coaching academy and I, I decided there and then I was like right I'm gonna retrain so I had my background in psychology, but I hadn't got any formal qualifications in coaching. Uh, and then I've just spent the last year, 18 months, I think it's about 300 odd hours, um, got furloughed, studied, and then decided to just do career changing, confidence coaching for myself. Love that. How did that feel, that that career change? Because I think when anyone you know comes across that sort of big life changing like oh crap gonna make the leap now that can be quite a daunting experience there's definitely two parts to it so I was saying I met someone earlier saying I when I left the two days I literally shed a tear because I walked out and I was like this is right this is the right thing to do and so lucky like I've been through loads of things in the last year I've been through you know 
friends passing away and all that kind of thing. And I was like, right, no, this is it. This is where I'm going now. And it was so emotional just having that shift of, I know this is the right thing that makes me really happy Mm. and it allows me to help other people and I can do it in a really authentic way. And then I guess the second part where I actually really set the business up, I don't think I really thought about it. Just kind of did it. And I was like, yeah, this will be fun. (laughs) It it could go either way, but I'm really happy doing it. I I was on furlough. I was like, I haven't really got anything else to do. (laughs) So just set it up. That's amazing though. And it's like the best time I've spoken to so many people in lockdown, myself included, who have been fortunate enough to be furloughed, you know, and, and use the time to actually maybe think about a little bit more about what you want. Like it's, it's, it's one of the silver linings of a pretty crappy year. Um, but a lot of the time when I speak to people and I use the word life coach, a lot of people make a face as if to say like, oh, why would you need one of those? You know, billions of people have lived plenty full fulfilling lives um on this earth without the need for a coach like why would I need one and if there is almost sort of like an affront that people put on a little bit defensive and I wondered if you'd ever experienced that kind of backlash when you talk about life coaching yeah absolutely and I think you've got to have quite an open mindset to explore explore it um yeah it's definitely one of the harder things of um being a life coach I think is that it's an industry people don't understand the value of until you've had it Mm. and people think it's a bit woo-woo and actually a lot of a lot of the coaching comes from a very scientific place you know one of my one of my areas that I love is neuroscience so a lot of the things I do because I deliver coaching and training and a lot of training is actually very scientific but people think that it's quite woo-woo um other people find that it's they're like oh but what's wrong with people to have it they think that you need something wrong with you in similar to like similarly to therapy you know if you've had a trauma and you want to go and work on that specific thing whereas you can just have a life coach to excel Mm -hmm. um and often what I say to people when when they ask it when they have that kind of backlash is top people in the world you know presidents Oprah you know um Richard Branson they've all got coaches if you're a top business owner, you're probably going to have a coach because of all the benefits that a coach will give you. Um, my way around it um, is, and I'm not sure it's the right way around it, is probably just ignore the people that don't get it and talk more to the people that do get it. Mm. Because I don't need to spend most of my energy trying to bring people onto an ocean. There's lots of people that are open to it and do know about it. Um, because you've had you've had a life coach, haven't you? I have. Yeah, I have. And it was honestly one of the most like profound experiences that I've had. And for me, it wasn't so much about the career. The career aspect was definitely an element of it, but it was about allowing myself to define what I actually want out of my life and feeling empowered to then go on and make those decisions. Like I'd never... I'd never really thought about that. I'd been through other therapies before, um, group therapy and counselling and things like that. But it's so it's so powerful to give you a sense of just like that you are so in control of of everything that you want and you can just go out and get it. Um, so that Love was that. it for me. Yeah, yeah, the sense of control, mm. and that's kind of what I was going back to earlier. We we as coaches, we're not there to teach you 
you know, we're not there to give you the gu- the guidebook. We're there to teach you how you can find that within yourself, and then you can go and take the action because you feel empowered. For sure. And I love that. You, I love that it changed your life. It's so. <laughs> it's one of my favorite things. I mean, it's why I do what I do because it is those transformations. You know, when someone messages you to say, "I've got that new job." because of this and I know what was holding me back because of the conversations we had or my inner critic doesn't talk up as much I don't doubt myself as much like that's just things that you you know you can do within such a short space of time by giving someone those tools and I think one thing it definitely brought up for me was this narrative that I've always told myself is that I I struggle to visualize a positive future and admit the thing that I really want because I am so fearful that it won't happen. And I was speaking to my life coach about this literally the other week. And I said, like, I'm, I'm so scared to create a vision board or a mood board for what I want because I am imagining 50 year old Emma in the attic finding this thing that she made at 25 and being like, oh my God, where did it all go wrong? I didn't get any of this. Like I was such a big dreamer and I failed. Like, And the thing that gets me is like, why is that my natural reaction? Why is that the thing that comes to mind straight away? Not the opposite of that, where I've picked it up and I'm like, oh, I've achieved all these things. Cool. How great is life? But it's, it's always the negative. And I just wondered whether you'd experienced that and where that self-doubt comes from and how do we go about overriding it? Ooh, what a big question. Yeah, that so, was massive. I don't expect like a one word, <laughs> one word answer. Like, this is how, see ya. Like, <laughs> jump out. Yeah. <laughs> don't do one. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> I think vision boards are really scary because you're putting pen to paper about what you really would like. And they're often big dreams. They're not, you know, they're things that aren't necessarily what we've got right now. So I think it is quite uncomfortable. I do vision boards with my clients, but I wait until the end of the um, program so that people feel much more at ease with them going on the right direction. And then we build it really slowly and like in smaller blocks because it's, it just is an uncomfortable thing. Why we have a negative bias, I think there's so many answers. I think one of the things I believe is societally, well, our brain is there to keep us safe, really. So we don't want to be judged and fail at things because our, we're not taught to do that in society, aren't we? We're taught when we go to school, don't say something out of time because you pass off laugh at you and that's not good. Mm-hmm. And so we then think that if we speak out of turn or if we, you know, if we fail at something, people are going to judge us for it. You know, who's who are you worried about knowing if you don't achieve something because you're going to then have to tell people that it didn't work Mm. and that's the thing that keeps us in our comfort zone because we don't want to take that next step we don't want to draw it out we don't want to have the vision board because we're then like but if it doesn't work how's that going to feel and how's that going to look and so we just stay away from it because it's easier to think like that isn't it sometimes easy to be like well if it doesn't or because they're the negative things we don't want to have to address mm-hmm. and so it's, so we take the route of saying I'll just I'll just stay in this job a little bit longer because yeah I get paid well and it's great and I won't create that vision board vision boards are I've done two or three in the last year they always make my stomach go 
Uh, <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one. <laughs> no, I'm mean, a life coach and it still makes me, because they're huge goals, aren't they? They're massive. Mm. Vision boards are meant to be, but they're really powerful, I think. So have you drawn one now? No, I, it's still on my to-do list. I, I will. And I know what's going on there. Like I've spoken about it, but it is, it is, as you said, it's putting pen to paper. And I think even when anyone says to you, what do you want? Like, what do you actually want? It's one of the hardest questions, I think, because who really knows what you want and how do you know what you want until you've got it? And even when you do get it, a lot of the time, then you realise it's not what you want. And honestly, I went into such an existential crisis about this the other day. I was like, I I just don't know. Um, And I do think that there is something to be said for just going with the flow and saying yes to things and accepting when things go wrong with a view to the future of some sort, but all the time re-evaluating and reassessing what that is. Yeah, I definitely... I'd say fluidity is such a lovely thing that I, you know, when I was thinking about coming on this, it was, I definitely had numerous life plans. I definitely could have had hundreds of iterations of vision boards. They've, some of them have gone so much to crap. Like I I was planning it, you know, at 28 to have a house and children and living up North, you know, it's okay to have a vision board, but also be okay to not feel like you must achieve it because you've got the vision board as well and realize that actually there's something lovely about being fluid that you can say, you know, sometimes my vision board only takes me up to next year. Um, I could do a vision board. I've got some loose ideas of what I'd like to do year three and five, but actually I'm also about being fluid and being like, okay, well, something else might show up in a year. You know, five years ago, I didn't know I wanted to be a life coach full time for myself. That's new and that's okay. And then another opportunity might come along and change something. And it's about taking the opportunities where they ride, like where they show up and not thinking that's not my plan. Now I'm stuck to this, you know, lane that I've put myself in. Mm-hmm because I've got this vision board and I've been thinking about it. I've been manifesting it. Yeah. I'm literally nodding like a nodding donkey. Cause that <laughs> I completely agree with everything you're saying. I, I noticed on your website, um, you referenced a study regarding the disparity between self-esteem and men and women. And I noticed that you do a lot of work with like female empowerment. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that, because I think that it's really, it's really interesting that we as women, you know, and it's it's proven in in these studies lack self worth to a to a deeper level, and I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so, I mean, I can't remember what the stat is. Is it seventy percent or something? Women will also only they'll sort of apply for a job if they think they meet is a hundred percent of the criteria before they'll even apply. Mm. Men will typically go in. I think it's like. 30 percent wow. they'll think i need 30 percent and i might be slightly off in my stats that i need 30 percent um of the already the skills that align with that job description and i'll essentially wing the rest which is phenomenal and great and my the reason i'd reference that study is because i want to empower women to have more of that mm-hmm. to level the playing field mm. so that it's not the I need to be at a hundred percent and then I go in with that job and I'm probably still going to have imposter syndrome because can I do it? Am I good enough at this because I haven't got X, Y, and Z? And that there's so many women that I work with that have just got so much experience 
and don't realize they've got so much experience. And as in neuroscience and coaching training and women actually, and I'm not sure why this relates to self-doubt, but women are different in the workplace to men. So our brains, we can use both our left and right hemisphere at the same time. And men can only engage one at the same time, one at a time. Wow. And what we try and do as women is, you know, we've got this very patriarchal, very male, masculine environment, in, especially in the corporate world. And what we do is we try and fit the male brain and the male way of working. And women are criticised, you know, often when we do try and do that, that we're bossy and, mm-hmm. you know, that we get quite a lot of negative feedback. And a lot of the language is actually not that different for if a man was going to use it, but they don't seem to get that feedback. Mm. But so the, the coaching, the training that I went on was really interesting looking at, we need a more equal environment in the workplace that allows women to flourish with the skill set they bring. Cause it is slightly different to the men, to the men in the world. So <laughs> really interesting um, research from, from a neuroscience perspective about the brain and the way that it works. Why we, criticize ourselves more um again some more research on that is we're taught from a very young age i think it's the age of six um in our upbringing so if you look at girls playing in a playground for example they um, parents will actually tell them to not do things way more than they will the boys we're taught to be safe a lot of the time Mm. we're taught to be in a you know don't you raise your hand only if you've got something to say and and through school and education as well you see these patterns emerge from a really young age of you know don't speak out of turn you know only speak when you know what you're going to say whereas Mm. boys aren't necessarily taught the same so I think there's a couple of things there yeah that's so interesting because you saying that just brought me right back to a a little uh primary school I remember I was like maybe year four year five and there was this boy I was sat next to who never used to put his hand up but he would just shout out the answers but because he's badly behaved when he got the answer right he got congratulated and I always used to think but you didn't put your hand up yeah. and it used to wind me up so much um so, so I just yeah that just came to my mind when you said that but that is really interesting and there is a, uh, I think with everything that's come up recently in the news regarding, you know, women's rights and, and the movement that is currently happening, it is a really interesting topic because I still don't think that men especially realise how how different it is for us in that working environment a, a lot of the time. Not all the time. Yeah. And a lot of women don't experience this. You know, it's not it's not 100% of the time at all. Um, no, absolutely. But it's notable. Yeah. I wanted to just talk to you as well about um, hustle culture. I think like we find ourselves in in this world where it's all about working really hard and putting that work in and getting those results. And I think that's what a lot of people attribute to life coaching as well. It's like finding the, the tools that you need to go out and smash your day. Um, and I find it really hard to strike this balance between hustling and working hard but then also being patient and allowing things to take the time that they need to work out in the right way I don't know whether it's because we live in a world which is full of sort of immediate gratification but I wondered if you had experienced that and whether you it is possible to 
to balance those things in terms of working really hard and and waiting for the right thing to happen I don't think I'm the best person to answer that one I'm so impatient (laughs) so am I and I don't know and I have this thing about time as well it's like everything is this time pressure I don't know whether that's just because I'm in my 20s and it feels like I have to achieve everything really quickly but that also plays into this whole hustle culture as well of like getting things now getting things done yeah I think what's the shift for me has been the time is like I always feel like it's so precious that I must do loads of stuff in it Mm. and so the shift over the last like year for me has been prioritizing the things that are good for me so whether that's like walking or yoga or like all those other things that are are non-negotiables so that I don't just always spend my time you know especially setting up a business especially coaching people who work nine to five so I work weekends and I work evenings Mm. trying to set that balance so that I'm also living in the present and I'm not trying to always find whatever it is in the future that I'm looking for um but I am I'm yeah shockingly impatient I know I am it's like well that didn't work what next what else can I do (laughs) I know it's frustrating isn't it because we're told try 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 again you know hard work pays off and then it's patience is virtue and good things come to those who wait and it's like well which one like which one I know that you can do both but which which is more effective um so I know no I agree I I have both so work really hard but then be patient all good things come to those who wait wait and do nothing or wait and work really hard yeah (laughs) tell me here because I don't know (laughs) yeah do you think that getting a life coach in your 20s is a good idea absolutely Uh, so primarily the way the age group I work with is women who have come out of uni and fallen into a job and then suddenly find that actually it's not aligned to who they are. It's not what they really enjoy and they don't feel right in the job or it's boring. They're sat behind a desk and they want to do something else. And having a life coach can just support you to do that next step. So it's about like having someone that like you can make you realize what you want to do. Mm. And that's such a powerful thing to learn in your twenties. Mm. why wait until you're 30 to you know to have spent 10 years doing that thing because it was what you studied it was your education it's what society's told you to it's what you felt your parents have nudged you to do mm. why wait for 10 years um I've had multiple coaches I think you should have a life coach anytime in your life or if you want to make a change or just if you want to be doing something else or be be better it's quite vague you could be coached on literally anything yeah yeah definitely and I think also in this particular decade it's like I think we place a lot of value on our jobs and and that being that was definitely how I defined myself and when I was at my lowest I was also unemployed because I felt like I didn't have a purpose and I wasn't doing the things that I wanted to be doing but without even the knowledge that that was what I wanted um uh, what would you say to someone who who places a lot of their value on their job defining them have a look at what else you've got around you that you could be doing that meant that your job is not your sole identity Mm. helping in the community you know what charity work could you be doing 
friends, socials, sports, hobbies, crafts, anything. You know, you want to take up mountain biking, you want to go traveling. They're huge parts of people's identity that I think it's so important to have multiple, Mm. not just to hold on to one, because when you spread your identity across lots of things, if one goes, that's okay. You've still got that, you know, you're part of the lacrosse team and you're still going to go traveling. You're still going to go do this charity work. You can still impact things and have a sense of self-worth as well, especially if you're doing things like charity work. Whereas if you hold on to the job and like you said, you know, when that goes, your identity then sort of goes with it and that job could go and that job could change. And actually I think often we hold a lot of identity to a role that sadly, you know, they probably don't feel the same about us in that job. Mm. And that's the sad truth, isn't it? That we hold on so much and we think they need me. They need me in this role. I'm so important. I'm so valued. And you probably are, but then are you as much as you you hold on to that as being your identity? Mm. I think sometimes it's about having that thought process of what's more important and what's going to be here in 30 years. Mm. And living up to those expectations, which you've set for yourself, but based on what principles, like I was living up to expectations based on what I thought that my parents wanted or my friends thought of me and not actually thinking about what I wanted. And I think it's such an easy trap to fall into. Yeah. I have so many clients that, and I do myself, expectations that you put on yourself are always harsher than anyone else will put on you. Mm. You The pressure that you put on yourself to achieve things and to be in a certain career at a certain time, you know, especially in your 20s, to be doing certain things by certain times, they're pressures that most people in your circle, especially your circle of, you know, your five closest they probably don't give a fuck. Yeah, they just want to go to the pub. Yeah, they just want you to be happy. Yeah. You know, if you ask your five closest people what they thought that you should be, probably happy. Mm. Not working in that corporate job, not, you know, not doing those things that you don't want to be doing, but, you know, you've got that degree in it, so you are. Mm. That's very specific, isn't it, to... Mm. To the person, yeah, definitely. Careers on the person, yeah. And then I guess lastly, before we move on to the little game I have for the end, um, what what has being a coach taught you about yourself? Deep question. Probably very cliche, but I'm intrigued to know the answer. <laughs> what has coaching taught me about myself? Um, it's interesting. Part of the training we do is lots of about your ego and what, you, you know, the beliefs you hold it's taught me to let go of those when I'm supporting other people. So it's told me that just because I have a belief that I can or can't do something, that doesn't mean to say that anyone else holds that belief. And we're all so unique in that. And you've got to help everyone get to where they think they can go, whether you believe that or not. Mm. Um, Yeah. So the little game I have is... I was looking into life coaching a lot and I know that you've spoken about how it is very different to therapy. It's a completely different avenue. Um, but there are a lot of myths surrounding life coaching. And I went online and it was, some of them were quite laughable, but um, I picked out three. I thought you could just dispel the myths a little bit. So our first one is coaching is only for people who have problems or who can't succeed on their own. 
Wow, savage. I know. <laughs> Absolutely not true. You could, often it is for the people who are ambitious and they could succeed on their own, but it takes them quite a lot longer. You know, I could run a marathon. I mean, hypothetically, I actually couldn't, but I could run a marathon. The learning how to get there on my own would take time and effort, whereas if you have a coach, it just excels that and makes you do it in the most effective way possible for you. Mm. So, yeah, meh. you definitely don't need problems. I mean, we've all got problems anyway, sadly, but you don't yeah, need them. This is true. This is true. I, the article goes on to talk about how um, it's, it's viewed as a tool to fix people. Um, when like personally I found it about being you know finding clarity on what you want and being given the tools to go out and do that you know um, yeah. instead of it being you're broken here let's fix you up I guess that's what the even, yeah what even is that what's broken what's fixed what's fixed firstly yeah. like no <laughs> and like clarity is a really key one clarity on what you want and why you want it is massive mm in coaching to have that yeah that's so like, funny. uh simon sinek sinek is um no no knowing your why what is your why isn't it that's yeah yeah what a ledge um so our second one is uh life coaches tell their clients what to do absolutely not <laughs> so it couldn't be more uh polar opposite to what it actually is life coaching actually doesn't tell you Life coaching's purest form is just open questions. So some people have a mixture and there's quite a fine line between um, coaching, counselling, mentoring and therapy. Mentoring, they'll tell you what to do. Consulting, they'll tell you what to do. That's what you're paying them for. Coaches, no, but some coaches do a combination. So I coach in my sessions, but then I deliver training as well, but I keep them quite separate. Mm. Um but coaching in its essence is not telling someone what to do. Mm. That's not what we're here for. Yeah. Yeah. One of the most powerful questions I got asked was, um, why do you think that's true? Yeah. And I was like, huh? Uh, I, uh, <laughs> just put an answer. And that just tells you everything you need to know. I was like, Oh, hang on. No, I just constructed that whole thing in my head because yeah. now I'm trying to tell you reasons for why it's true. It sounds fucking stupid. <laughs> That's literally all it is, isn't it? Sometimes it's having that space to talk about it mm. and someone there just to solely listen to you and reflect that back to you and say, why is that true? And you're like, mm. oh, oh, now I feel attacked. And yeah, you're right. Nah, shit. <laughs> oh, oh, I feel like a dick. Oh. I, I love those questions, especially when it stumps someone because it really gets you thinking. It does, yeah. It really challenges those beliefs that you've got. And, you know, I'm my coach with me, I want her to call bullshit. If she's like, why is that true? I'm like, oh, I don't know. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's actually not true. Oh, yeah, I haven't thought of it like that. Maybe I could succeed at that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love it. Uh, so our final one is coaching is expensive and only for the rich. <laughs> I mean, honestly. <laughs> Some coaches are hundreds of pounds. Some coaches are thousands of pounds. Some coaches are tens of thousands of pounds. There's always a coach at different levels. And it's what you can and can't afford. And yeah. a lot of coaches as well do, even if they are more expensive, will often do pro bono 
for people that can't. Mm. And there's loads of new coaches qualifying that do loads of free training as well, like free coaching, sorry, mm. um, to complete courses. You know, I've got a network of people and if I put someone in who needs coaching, there'll be about 10 people who want to do it for free for at least four or six sessions. So, I mean, I doubt Oprah's coach is £100 now, but, you know, we can live and dream. <laughs> <laughs> So if someone wanted to get a life coach, Sarah, where would they find A, you and B, other resources? Um, so my website's achievingambition.com, but I'm also on Instagram. Um, again, achievingambition underscore. Um, resources is a great one. Um, Instagram, you can actually use as a search engine. LinkedIn, you can search on the hashtags if you want coaches. Uh, Google search um and networks i think if you ask i feel like recommendation for coaches is always a really good way to go um in terms of if you want one yeah i think those are the top main youtube is always a good resource for learning Mm. hundreds of books oh god yeah my coach yeah simon sinek is a start my coach (laughs) recommended me so many books and i've yeah they're they're all really really helpful yeah Um, i always in the end of the of my coaching sessions i always suggest if there's anything that i think's useful as a resource Mm. whether that's like a model or training or like a book and i'll just send it to them at the end of the session and be like this is a network or this is a book you need to read or this is the personal development you need to do because there's just so much. Yeah. Like well, if you send me over a few of your favourites after this, I'll put it in the um, in the show notes so our listeners yes, can have a look. Amazing. Yeah, Stephen Covey is one of my ones. Thanks so much, Sarah. This has been so great and thank you for dispelling the myths and um, just this has been such a lovely chat. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having me. I hope I did dispel all the myths for people. <laughs> you absolutely did thank you (laughs) thank you so much I hope you guys enjoyed that bonus episode season four is going to be dropping in the next month or so so make sure that you hit that subscribe button as we've got some pretty cool guests lined up which you do not want to miss you can also find us on instagram at 20 not something as well so do go and check that out big shout out to the composer and producer of this podcast pete half and as always a huge thank you to you guys at home for listening as well we would not be heading into the fourth season without you so thank you for being such great listeners and we will see you very soon